You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin. And today I'm excited to introduce you to Lauren McBrayer. Lauren is a graduate of Yale with a law degree from UC Berkeley, a working mom of three. She's the head of business affairs for a television network in Los Angeles. Like a House on Fire is her adult debut. And here today to talk about that is Lauren McBrayer. Welcome to Unquirking Story, Lauren. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here. And I always like to start with the same question, which is, Lauren, where does your story as an author begin? The womb, maybe? No, just kidding. <laughs> um, I started writing at a really young age. My elementary school had a little publishing company where they would take students' stories and print them with covers and spines. So I had one called The Police Car that won an award in third grade. But no, I was writing you know, all through my childhood years, through high school, I went to college at Yale. I like to joke I only went to Yale because I bet my dad that I could not get in. I was convinced I would not get in. And so then when I did, it was sort of awkward for all of us and I ended up going. But I thought I would study English and I would write for the newspaper. And I got there and was instantly very intimidated. And it made me sort of recoil from writing and from that path. And you know, ultimately, I went to law school. It was a safer bet than trying to compete as a writer back then. So I went to law school, which... I think ultimately helped my writing a lot. You write a lot in the legal profession, but I came out of law school and started this whole career in the entertainment industry. I was an entertainment lawyer. I now work in business affairs. So I negotiate the deals for film and TV, but probably two or three years into my law career, I was like, I need to be writing every day. So I started doing it, getting up before work, before kids and, um, writing. I was writing TV pilots at first, then YA novels. And, you know, ultimately I came up with the idea for this book and already had those habits, you know, in place to write. So as fascinated I am about the story behind getting into Yale, even though you were kind of betting against yourself, I just need to know more about this elementary school you went to that had like a publishing company in it. I mean, where did you go to elementary school? It was a public school in Roswell, Georgia, a suburb of Atlanta, you know, not some fancy private school. And it's funny with kids now, you know, I have three kids and a great elementary school in LA and they don't have anything like this. It was remarkable. I mean, it was a whole separate little outfit and they had, you know, hardback covers and spines. You sent your book off and you got a little printed book. It was amazing. It made you feel like a real writer. It's, you know, it reminds me of like, you know, growing up, I used to watch, you know, Beverly Hills 90210. I mean, who um, didn't? And they had, you know, they had like a, a radio station, you know, where David Silver was the DJ. And I was fascinated at the prospect of a high school having, you know, a radio station in it. But I mean, an elementary school with like a, like a public publishing company is awesome. Did you have any teachers like back in those days in, in elementary school who were like, who saw potential in you or who were encouraging you to write? 
Yeah. I mean, I think the, the biggest encouragement came in middle school. I had an honors English teacher who really believed that I was a good writer and encouraged me to write without like an outcome in mind. So like, you don't just be, you know, she'd be like, write a short story. I was like, for what, you know, I'm 14, you know, what is this? What am I going to do with it? She's like, that's not the point. The point is just to write the story to get better at, at doing it. So that was great advice to not be tied to the outcome of like, what am I doing it for? I'm doing it because the story is demanding to be told and I'm interested in telling it. Right. So that right. helped you're, a lot. You're the vehicle where that story has to come from. Exactly. Um, you know, it's interesting. I've interviewed a lot of lawyers turned authors on uncorking a story. And there seems to be something there, right? I mean, and you mentioned, you know, as part of, you know, being a lawyer, you got to do a lot of writing. And my twin brother's a lawyer. He was part of Law Review, that whole thing. And he, he himself has written a, a memoir. But, um, you know, what is it that, you know, the, any other links between being a lawyer and like being like a creative at heart? I have, yeah, I have many theories on these, I, on this. I think that the prospect of going to law school, law is not a thing that most people can study, you know, in college as an undergraduate degree. You know, you can have any major, you can be doing anything and go to law school. And what they say about law school is it teaches you how to think. And to get into law school, you have to take the LSAT, which is predominantly writing and like logical thinking. And then in law school, you're, you're writing, analyzing cases. So I think law school draws people who are good at writing, who don't necessarily know how to make a career out of the skill that they have. So then those would-be writers who don't have an outlet for the writing, they go to law school, then they graduate and they realize how miserable the practice of law is and how they have all of this debt that now they're under and they need to be in a law firm environment to try to pay off this debt. So are in this crazy cycle, not at all speaking from experience here. And writing then becomes the thing that you got to do to save your life. You're sort of like, I, this is killing me. I need to write. So I think it's, I think we start as writers who become something else. And then we realize that something else isn't creatively fulfilling. So then we cycle back to being, that's my theory. It's my theory yeah. on lawyers and writers. Okay. Well, you know, sample size of one works for me. Yeah. I'm Good. much more of a qualitative person anyway. Good. But you say, you know, you need writing to save your life, writing to save your soul. In what ways did writing, you know, save your life, save your soul? Well, this book in particular, you know, I, when it came to me three years ago, actually to the day of my published pub date, which was yesterday, April 26. So April 26, 2019, I was on this girls weekend with a bunch of women that I didn't know. It was for one friend's 40th and she had invited a bunch of family friends and women I, I hadn't met before. And we, we were at a house in Mexico and I was just sort of lounging by the pool. I dozed off. And at that moment in my life, I had been toying with writing a memoir, and, but I couldn't really crack it exactly what I wanted to say, but I sort of had this feeling, I want to write a memoir, memoir, memoir. And I took a nap, woke up, these two women announced themselves in my brain. It was Merritt, it was Jane. One was in her 30s, one was in her 50s, there was 20 years, they were 20 years apart, and they just demanded that I pay attention to them. And so at the time, I was married to my husband of 15 years, I had three young kids, I was, I would have said like the straightest girl in America. And I was, I came up with this idea about these women and their friendship. And I knew I wanted to ask questions about female intimacy and the limitations on female friendship. And so I imagined that these two women would have some chemistry that would maybe become sexual chemistry, romantic chemistry, but I certainly didn't know that it would become what it ultimately became. And about halfway through the book, maybe like a third into it, 
I was like, oh, this is a love story. And not only is this a love story about women who become very close friends and then realize that there's more there, it actually is a story of love at first sight. And I realized that almost unwittingly, I had put the seeds of everything that happens with Merritt and Jane in that very first interview scene. It's the first chapter of the book. It's when you meet them. There's already something there that like isn't normal or isn't typical what's normal. And so that was actually exciting to me because I was like, oh, I did this without realizing it. So I kept writing. And then a few more months in, I started to realize, oh, this isn't actually just about Merritt. This is also about me. And so it became my own journey. I mean, her choices in the novel aren't my personal choices, but the questions that she was asking about her life, her career, her sexuality, ultimately there were the questions I asked myself. So it was like, she took me on a journey. And I say to people now that I didn't realize the memoir I wanted to write was actually a fictional memoir of the future. So I kind of wrote myself into it and I'm so glad that I did. Yeah. I mean, the subconscious has a funny way of doing things like that. It does. But there's so much to unpack there. I mean, the first thing is just having that moment of inspiration, you know, on that girl's weekend where these two characters kind of just come to you. It's almost like a lightning bolt. Now, I remember reading The Godfather and when Michael Corleone meets his first wife, Apollonia, they call it the lightning bolt, you know, mm-hmm. just this thing that happens. But you had the the sort of the interest and curiosity to kind of follow you know, follow that, not let those characters kind of go silent in your head. Just tell me a little bit more about that. Like in what ways were they could just kind of demanding to be either written or, or just that you pay attention to them? Yeah, it's funny. I'll do a brief like side story to loop back. My, the very first thing I ever wrote, it was a year out of law school. I was wondering what the heck had happened to my life, this career that I didn't really want. And I wrote a TV pilot. It didn't ultimately get made, but it was about a woman who is about to get married and about to start this whole life. And she, our world collides with a parallel universe such that her life in one instance changes. And she's in a totally sort of a sliding doors moment. She's in a totally different version of her life. And, you know, that pilot then became a young adult novel and I was really fascinated with this idea of parallel universes and, you know, who could we be under different, you know, situations. So looping back to that nap poolside in Mexico, when Merritt shows up in my brain, I didn't at all realize it at the time, but she's like another version of me. She's not me, but she was like, hi, this is you. If you were going to let yourself like chase down this thing. And so I think that's why my subconscious couldn't let go of it. Because in a strange way, it was a part of me talking to myself and I could hear her voice very clearly and I found it really easily on the page. I mean, this book, it came out of me and like, it was almost like birthing a child. It just like, I couldn't have held it back. And Jane, I think I just fell in love with, you know, I just, she, so, so Merit was me and she's talking to me. And so I can't ignore her because she's like my interior, like internal monologue. And then Jane is this like beautiful object of my creative affection. So I wanted to know more about her. I wanted her to tell me who she was, what she liked, what she was into. So, so I did it. I went on the journey with them. Yeah. Did you ever publish that first young adult novel that, that came out of that pilot? I did. Harper Teen published it. I did it. I published it under my married name. That's why, you know, the, it's in a, this is considered my adult debut. But yeah, it's called Parallel. And yeah, I published it as Lauren Miller. Yeah. So. You know, I want to talk about the publishing process in a bit, but the other thing I just wanted to mention, because just again, continuing to unpack, you know, all that you kind of started off with was 
you know, you didn't intend for this to be kind of a love story or a love at first sight story. It evolved that way, but you were able to almost pivot from your original intention and sort of write the novel that was kind of demanding, you know, to be written. Just talk to me about kind of pivoting in the writing process, because I know some people kind of start with a very firm view of what their book or work is going to be. And then, then something usually changes during the writing process. I'm just curious about kind of when that was kind of becoming apparent to you, you know, how you paid attention to it and how you kind of executed it. Yeah, I think to start, I, for this novel, I never knew how it was going to end up, which was new for me when I wrote Parallel and then I turned it into a YA novel. I had a really strong outline and I plotted it out and I knew I needed the pacing to be exactly right. With this novel, I sort of understood that I wasn't going to get to know how it turned out unless I went on the journey with these women. And two things revealed themselves to me as I wrote. One was that they were actually going to get to the kind of turning point for their relationship when it becomes more than this really intense friendship becomes, you know, a 360 intimate relationship. They were going to get to that later than I thought, but also than I would have assumed was appropriate for a story. You know, I'm like, oh, can people hang in? Because it's a really slow burn, but I've got to get them there organically. It's a very different story, particularly because these characters, when you we meet them, they both understand themselves to be straight. They aren't looking to fall in love with each other. They, they're both married to men when we meet them. So I wanted to take them on this journey first towards friendship, then towards sort of being each other's quote unquote person to then getting to the the place where they felt they were already intimate enough. Like the emotional connection comes first and then they discover more, which is sort of backwards to the like typical ideal. You know, it's like sparks fly, you have romantic connection. And then, oh, do we work long-term? It sort of flipped the script on that. So that was the first thing that I discovered that like, actually it was going to be this really slow burn and I had to just hang in with them. But then also I never thought I would write like a racy book. And I, they were like, Hey, you're creating a story about desire, female desire and intimacy. You can't just be like, and the door softly closed behind them. And they woke up the next morning. So there's some edge, you know, there's some, I mean, my poor mother's probably reading the book right now and, you know, blushing, but I just had to go with it. It was the story that it was, that needed to be written. Talk to me about sort of pitching this one to agents. Did you use the same agent as your young adult book or? I did. And I'm forever indebted to that agent, Kristen Benton at ICM. She has been my agent since that very first YA novel that I wrote. And she actually, I never queried agents. People typically you know, do with this process of to query, query agents. When I was writing my YA novel, I was blogging at the same time. And um, somebody, I guess, sent her one of my blog posts. So she reached out to me and said, you know, I see on your blog that you're working on a novel. Would you want to submit it to me? So I was a new mom and, you know, elated that somebody wanted to read my work. And so when she liked it, I was like, done and done, you know. But then there were a lot of years that I wasn't writing books for her. And she hung in with me as a client. So when I first called her to say, and I didn't tell her I was writing it until I was finished, I wanted to make sure I could do it. And I wanted to make sure I felt good about it. Finished it, called her. And I'll remember I said to her, you know, I've written an adult novel. And she said to me like so delicately and gently, she's like, I mean, have you had other people read it first? Like basically 
before you send it to me, can you make sure that it's good? And I said, I actually have, I've gotten some notes. I've taken, you know, I've revised it. I think it's ready for you. So anyway, needless to say, she loved it and, you know, she sold it for me. So it was, it's great actually, because I now feel like I've become the writer I was in, always intending to be, but was kind of intimidated. You know, honestly, I think that story of me at Yale of being afraid to write for the newspaper is probably why I didn't ever try adult fiction until now. It's intimidating, you know, to yeah. try to do something literary. What if you fail? What if you're terrible? But I'm so glad that I did. Yeah, but it also may not have been the right time. I mean, and it sounds like now is the right time. Just, you know, having that experience, insights into yourself that you learned while, while especially writing this book. And I imagine that there's been a shift in your personal life as well during this time. Yeah, absolutely. It was funny. The book, I didn't even realize this. It came out on Lesbian Visibility Day. So April 26th. So yesterday I had this moment where I had to acknowledge that in the three years from idea, like inception of idea into publication, I went from a married straight, you know, wife and mother to a divorced queer, still mother, uh, but nobody's wife, all because of this novel. And when I sold it, you know, the Putnam who bought it, you know, my editor, you know, very delicately and rightly asked, you know, this is a story about a, a, at least queer, I mean, not, don't need to go as far as lesbian, but a not straight experience, you know, is this personal? Is this authentic? You know, I, we certainly don't want to appropriate other people's stories. And so I remember I actually went into my closet at my old house, metaphorical on the phone with her and, you know, heard myself say, no, it's, you know, it's authentic. It's authentic. And I, you know, this was 18 months ago. I'm thinking, gosh, how am I going to get from where I am now to being able to say this publicly on a podcast, on social media, on my book jacket? And I couldn't have imagined it, but my soul just knew, like, just keep taking the next step forward. And, you know, here I am and it's, I feel like I'm absolutely in the place I'm supposed to be. I'm, my life is like everything that I could want it to be at this moment. And truly I have this book to thank. I mean, it, it took me there. So it's, I will forever be indebted to the book, which as a writer and for aspiring writers, if you can write something that serves you so personally, it changes the whole ballgame for the success of the book. Because for me, the book already did the work in me. So like people reading it and liking it and wanting to talk about it, it's just icing on the cake, you know? And I imagine, and we don't have to go into detail, but there was probably a lot of yuckiness in those early days, which and you like look at me like yuckiness. That's, yeah. not strong, that's not a strong enough word, but it's like now it's you seem great. Like you seem like I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm getting like this feeling of like contentment, happiness, almost like you're breathing easily. Yeah, it, I absolutely am. And it's the and I'm I'm feeling encouraged to speak publicly and to own the my own experience and my connection to this book not to be like, you know, aspiration to somebody else or some exemplar, but like people need to know that there are, it, it's hard to get from A to B in a massive transition, particularly, you know, I was 40 when I started or 39, almost 40 when I started writing this book. And, you know, that's a lot of years lived as a particular identity. And the idea of sort of upending all of that and dismantling 
a a life you've worked really hard to build is terrifying to a lot of people. And I I mean, I know it, I see it in friends who are not leaving marriages they should leave, who are not leaving cities they should leave, jobs they should leave. It's just the cost seems too high. And I kind of want to say, yeah, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be really hard. There's going to be loss. You're going to lose relationships. You're going to have difficult conversations. You're going to misbehave and be the worst version of yourself in moments. But ultimately, you're going to get to a place where you're the best version of yourself. And you will look back and think, oh my gosh, what if I hadn't left? What if I hadn't changed? What if I hadn't like gotten in the river and just gone with the current? Because it took me to such a beautiful place. So so thanks for noticing. <laughs> yeah, well, you're welcome. But now I have to ask a big question, which is love wins. I mean, right above your head. What's the story behind that sign? Yeah. So about a year ago, as my then husband and I were realizing that the writing was on the wall and that we were actually going to divorce, I decided I'd be the one to move out. And so I found a little house really close to our old house where that we I ultimately moved to. And when I closed on the house, I bought actually in advance when I made the offer on the house and it was accepted, I bought two things. I bought this love wind sign, which I had custom designed on Etsy. I mean, I had a vision. I was like, it's pink, it's this size. And it's, it was, it's just the mantra and the like sort of statement of the house. Like that's what's true here. And then I bought a painting from this artist in Spain, like a large acrylic painting that hangs in my living room of a woman floating on her back in water, like with a serene expression on her face. I mean, I didn't even know exactly where I'd hang it. It was just, I, I want the image of that woman and I want love wins. And it, I light it up every day. I mean, it, it's neon and I put it on and it just makes me so happy to see it. I love it. Now I have the title of this episode, which is Love Wins. Love Wins. Prayer. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. I have some less heavy questions for you, of course. Great. Um, <laughs> the first is, again, this is all in the spirit of trying to get to, to really know the people who I talk to. And you mentioned having written a script before. So I'm curious to know, Lauren, what was your favorite TV show when you were a kid or some of your favorite TV shows when you were a kid? Uh, We've already mentioned one of them. I was a diehard fan of 90210. I actually videotaped all the episodes. I mean, unclear why. I mean, you know, I mean, maybe I just knew that like a DVR was a thing that people needed, but I would have VHS tapes and I would record it and I would stop for the commercials so that there were no commercials in the recording. And sometimes I would record over really special like family videos that my parents had. I mean, it was my dad's like footage of my parents from when I was a child that we've put on VHS. You then re-recorded with, you know, Shannon Doherty. Like, yes, yes, I did. Donna Martin graduated. Yeah, exactly. But I thought it was totally worth it. So yeah, I watched 90210. I loved Party of Five. You know, I just shows that were deeply about, you know, friendship and relationships and romance and sex. Like, all of that. I mean, those sort of sticky relational shows, I mean, I've just always, I've always loved them. Party of Five, was that on Sunday nights? Mm-hmm. Do, you, yes. do you remember? Okay. So my brothers and I, we were all living together. And so I have a twin brother and then an older brother who's nine years our senior. And we were all living together. And um, we used to watch do the stupid male, watch football all day on Sundays. And then Sunday night, it was like Party Five and X-Files. But I remember, and we'd be pretty inebriated by the time, you know, primetime TV came, came on, on just because yeah. of the festivities during the day. 
But there was that whole arc where Bailey was an alcoholic and um, yes, and we so felt we. so bad about ourselves, like watching this. And we are just like three sheets to the wind watching, you know, Bailey hit rock bottom. You're like, oh, is gosh. that us? Is it us? Should we, is this us? I mean, it was yes. pretty bleak. I mean, I can even picture some of those scenes, that storyline, yeah. but yes. Yes. But a great show. And some of those, you know, those guys went on to do some great things. I mean, Nev Campbell went on to do good things and um, Matthew oh. Shepard on Lost. Oh yeah. I mean, on yeah. Lost. What a great show. But um, what's her name was oh, seen her on actually both of them have been on Hallmark a lot. Uh, also part of five. Cause Lacey Chabert Lacey, or whatever was in Lacey Chabert. Um, yes. Mean Girls too. She was in Mean I Girls. I mean, she was great in Mean Girls. She so. was awesome in Mean Girls. I love that. I love Mean Girls. All right. So we covered TV. How about music? Uh, favorite artist we'd find on playlist for you? I'm a huge fan of this band, Bird Talker. And most people don't know them. I was actually at a grocery store here in LA wearing my Bird Talker band t-shirt. And the guy was so the guy who rang me up was like so intrigued. And he was asking me for the song titles. He was like looking them up as we were speaking. I was like, you can just Google it later. But they're a band out of Nashville. They're sort of the kind of folksy rock acoustic vibe. I love them. I can plug them anytime I can. I love the Lumineers. I mean, you'll find them on my playlists and anything in that vein. But I also like, I mean, I'm a huge Lizzo fan. I like Mr. Wives. This They sing the song Super Bloom, which is my current anthem. So eclectic, I would say. Yeah. Very cool. Number three, how do you feel when you're staring at you know a blank computer screen, blank piece of paper, and you're intending to write something? What kind of emotions do you experience? I don't feel like angst anymore. I did for a lot of years. My go-to, somebody recommended this to me. Actually, it was the guy, he didn't recommend it to me personally. I read it in one of his books, Jonah Lehrer. Do you remember him? He he wrote these kind of like Malcolm Gladwelly books. And then he was exposed as, as for plagiarism. So his books like taken down off shelves, he was kind of discredited. But his books are great. I mean, whoever he plagiarized, I mean, the info is awesome. (laughs) They're all nonfiction. But anyway, he was talking about the way the brain works and how when you're trying to solve a problem, if you keep trying to solve it, you won't solve it. So if for writers, if you have a writer's block, like he would say, go have a beer or go take a shower. So I do one of those two things. I mean, if it's early morning, it's not the beer, but, you know, to leave the space and to go take a shower or go do something else and cultivate having like the background running. Like that's a thing I have done with my brain. It's like, can I keep the background running? So if I'm reading books to my kids or I'm on a walk, background story ideas are still ticking. So there's less pressure in the moment. You know, if you have the blank page, you're like, oh, I'm going to go, go do something else. So I don't sit a lot with a blank, blank page. If it's not coming, I'm just like, I'm going to book out. Yeah. Yeah. I used to go for a run. When I had writer's block, I broke my foot a month ago and I oh, can't gosh, run I'm for sorry. another eight weeks and I'm uh, going slightly insane. But uh, I have to remember that this is not about me. <laughs> You've pivoted in your career kind of from law to sort of the corporate world and entertainment industry. Now, of course, your adult debut is coming out. What lesson about uh, publishing or writing do you feel like you learned the hard way? That writing, you know, everyone as a writer, you want to do it full time. You know, if you love it, you're sort of like, I want to be known as a writer and I want my books to sell. And I, you know, want to be able to do that all the time. Totally. I mean, I felt that. I understand that. It's such a fulfilling job. But for me, I learned that when I'm writing with economics in mind or I'm writing for the market, it robs the joy for me. Like, and you know, successful writers would say this, you know, Ann Patchett, my, one of my favorite authors of all time, I'm one of many who adore her. 
you know, she writes all of her books on spec. You know, she could get a book deal on a one line, but she prefers to write them to completion and then sell them so that she doesn't feel the pressure of like what the editor wants. And so it's not like a, you know, a newsflash, but it was to me. And I, with this book, I had no idea if it would sell. Honestly, I had no idea if I would attempt to sell it because it was so personal. And so that lesson is write the story that lights you up. And again, going back to that eighth grade teacher, I mentioned, you know, be divorced from the outcome because the outcome is just like the icing if it works. And I think as an artist, of course, you want to share your work. You want as many people to see it and like engage with it, participate with it as possible, because we believe that art serves a purpose in culture. But that's like step two. Step one is create the thing and do it, do it justice and don't let the market dictate. You know, I, if I was going to write a novel that I wanted to sell, I would probably not have infidelity in it because it's tricky. Publishers, there are some publishers, some editors who are like, this novel's great, but I don't buy infidelity. Many readers are like, this book would be great, but there's an affair in it. But this is a story of a woman who has an affair. It just is, you know, according to stats between like 50 and 80% of people have them. So for me, it felt like a worthy story to tell, but anyway, so don't let the market dictate what you write. Yeah. I mean, along the way, you've given some great advice to, you know, people who are thinking about writing, right? I mean, there's some great advice in this conversation for um, authors, writers, aspiring authors. But if you could write yourself, your younger self, a letter, what words of advice would you tell your younger self? You know, think about that girl who's publishing in third grade, you know, with the, uh, with the school press. What would you whisper in her ear? What would you want her to know? I thought about this a lot, actually, because as my own life was sort of dismantling or and being rebuilt, deconstructing and reconstructing, I went back and read all of my old journals and I kept them from elementary school through law school. And I read them all. And I heard, I saw my voice on the page and I, I heard myself, my younger self. And the thing I wanted to tell her is you feel kind of weird. And I want to tell her it's because you're queer. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't mean that sexually. I wouldn't mean like, you're going to like women someday, or you're going to fall in love with a woman someday. I mean, you're a little different. And if you embrace that, you're awesome. But in a few years, you're going to try to be you're a real conformist and you're a quick study and you're going to be really good at it. And so people, you're going to start performing as the most typical, normal, cool girl you can possibly be. And you're going to be good at it. And you're going to be slowly dying inside. Mm. So stay weird. That really atrocious haircut that you had. No, it wasn't pretty, but you were happy when you had it. And you didn't care what you looked like, like be that girl, like who knows strange vocabulary words and uses them because they delight you. You know, then I became a person who never wanted to use a big word because what if someone thought I was like trying to be too smart, you know, whatever it was. So stay weird, stay queer. So it sounds like just even just thinking about kind of your younger self, you kind of, you saw some hints, you saw some. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I like people labels and stuff are like, how do you identify now? And Queer felt safest to me just because it felt truest. But also I realized it it was sort of a gift, that word, because it helped me narrate my younger self. I always felt a little bit like an alien. I always felt like I wasn't quite, I didn't see things the way people did. You know, I, I had friendships. I always had really close friendships with sort of like outcasts or people who are really different from my main friend group. I always felt more comfortable with sort of like the quirky people. 
And so it's this, in this new moment in my life, I really am embracing that. I'm just like, that's who I am. I like, like the quirks, like I'm one of them. So anyway. Well, there we go. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you. Like a House on Fire is available for sale now. I imagine people can buy it wherever books are sold, including their, including their local independently owned bookstores. Always like to give them a little plug. Lauren, where can people learn more about you? Do you have a website? Do you have some social media you want to share with everybody? Yeah, absolutely. My website is laurenmcbrayer.com. So pretty easy. I like to plug that because Putnam, my publisher, created a really amazing book club guide for the book that has some fantastic thought-provoking questions. I did not write them. They're better than I could have come up with. So that's available for download. You can use for book clubs on my website. And then on social media, I'm pretty much only on Instagram and I am Lauren McBrayer writes. Very good. Lauren, thank you so much for taking some time with me today. Thanks for having me. This was so fun. And thank you for all that you do. It's like the story behind the story is everything. So thank you for that.